Hey, welcome everybody to the 204060 podcast. And today we've got a great topic because it was sent in by a listener. And uh, th- this is, this is uh, really an important uh, subject. You know, if you think about church starts and how hard and expensive it is versus churches that just need uh, uh, revitalization. They already have buildings, land, you know, a presence in the community. It's kind of a tension. How do you start a church or how do you revitalize a church? And here I'm going to read directly from a listener uh, who writes in and they say, uh, he says this, I'm part of an, uh, an old Southern church that's in a point of tension. We lost our pastor of 18 years in 2016, and we've gone from uh, uh, attendance of 1,300 people on Sundays to less than 700 people. Almost nobody in the church is in their 20s and 30s, and how do we survive and incorporate a multi-generational approach to our church? So we're going to chase that. We're going to get three different uh, uh, opinions on that, and then we'll sort of amalgamate all these opinions, put them together, and see uh, what we can come up with. So I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with Trevor, Trevor, because Trevor's in his twenties, he's not 30 yet, but, uh, so here's a church, uh, that really wants to do something. Evidently uh, we're assuming they do. Right. And, uh, you're, you're living in that community, probably drive by it every day. What would be possible for you, for them to get your attention long enough to go in? And if you went in, what would sort of be important to you as a, as a, individual as a as a couple and as a parent gene funny you ask that i've never had to look for a church myself like personally i've you know i've always had to i've always either went where my dad went or mom went or um i went there and you know his family and then we uh then i just got hired right away um so i never really kind of had to choose um a church before but to, to that person or to that church i would say uh well, you know, I would ask, "What's the culture of your church? You know, what do you guys? Who are you? What do you? What are you, what are you doing?" And uh, and I, I would think about this if I'm if I'm trying to get me a new person, a uh, new kid on the block, so to speak. If I'm trying to get uh, me, and you're not reaching people my age, you're not reaching uh, people in my generation, or just really even new people in general. It doesn't even have to be my generation. It could be any generation, but you're trying to reach new people. I would say, are you doing something that's new? Um, because I, I would, I would practically think, um, if you want to reach new people, you're going to have to do something that that's new. If you're going to reach people that never been reached before, you're going to have to do something that's never been done before. And you know, that's really hard for older people to do something new for a generation they don't quite know right. or understand. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. All yeah. Right. Okay. So, so like to to begin to understand. Um, a generation you, you don't understand, uh, I would say, who do you know in that generation? And then are you trying to get to know them, really, for who they are? Or are you trying to tell them something that they should do or tell them something that they should be? Um, if if you're going to try and reach someone that's in their 20s, as I am, uh, get to know somebody in, your, in their 20s and then see how you connect with them. What is your one thing that you can connect with somebody in that generation with? And then run after that, because mm. um, that could be your huge beginning point. Uh, because I'm trying to connect with people that are in the older generation and younger, I'm just always trying to find new people, different places. Uh, How can I connect with them? I hope so, we can yeah. keep that. I hope we can keep that thought because I want to say something about that and uh, uh, about in, you know what that means to do something new and connect with them uh, vis-a-vis the church. I want to come back to that, Jeff. 
if I was driving by there at my stage of life, I would want to know that they did something for the whole family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the things that is a travesty today is that we have churches that exclude our children and youth and our parents. I don't don't want to say that it's selfish. Maybe it is. But it's it's certainly me-focused because they don't care that their children aren't getting anything uh, the, the churches don't have programs for children. They don't have programs for youth. Uh, and, and that may be a little bit of a holdover from my generation kind of being that first praise and worship type generation and the the music and the worship service kind of trumping everything. But having two kids who are elementary school, middle school uh, age, I want to I wanna know that that church has something for myself, my wife, my daughter, my son, and that all of us are going to be able to go together on that. Well, um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, especially when I was at Lifeway. Revitalization is really uh, important to me because I think it's, excuse me, I think it's really uh, more, frankly, more interesting, although more difficult to revitalize a church than just to start something you know, from nothing. But when you revitalize a church, you got a lot of things going for you. First of all, you have somebody there. Mm-hmm. Number two, you got buildings, you got land, you have a presence in the community. No matter what the community thinks, you can always change perception. But the first thing you have to do is ask this question well, why did we go from 1,300 to 700? You know, what happened? Um, you know, did, did the 20 and 30 years, 30 year olds just grow up and now they're 30 and uh, 40 and 50 or 30, you know, what happened there? And did we just forget them or do we still have it in us to do that? Uh, so what happened there? You have to really, cause that might be different than if they, if they left yeah. to go do something else. Yeah, there's two different things. Saying. If you yeah. have a conflict or, you know, if they felt like, uh, you know, uh, they don't want us here or whatever else. Typically what happens in those churches is people just mature. It's sort of like we talk about open and closed groups. After a while, an open group that's very open to anybody coming closes down and you get to be a little tribe. So I think you have to look at that. You have to look at your history mm-hmm. of that. And when you're looking at your history, you have to really examine your DNA as a church. And without a pastor, that's a great time to examine the DNA. Who, who are we really? What are the non-negotiables here? We're never, it doesn't matter if nobody ever comes here again. These are the non-negotiables here. We're not, you know, and whatever they are, for us it might be the preaching of the Word of God, our belief in the Word of God, uh, righteous living or whatever, you know. So no matter what we do, new or old or revitalize or bring back, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's very important. Uh, what are the non-negotiables? Because if you get off of your non-negotiables, you'll only get off for a season. And everybody's going to be miserable because you're not going to give your heart uh, to something that you know is not it. But in reference to that 20- and 30-year-old, I think the first thing that you have to do is think about them as not coming to church. You know, what can I, what can I do to engage you uh, in a kingdom way so that I don't come to church? When I think about the parent, what, what can I do to engage you that helps you today or is fun for you today that's, a, that's, a, that's an outreach of our church and not just I want to get you into my church? Because I think that's sort of like, uh, you know, that's sort of like somebody just wanting you to sell you something. You know, uh, come to my church and you could easily say, well, I understand how this benefits you because the numbers are up and maybe I'll give or participate, but how does it benefit me? 
But how many people uh, in the kingdom ever just help somebody because they're in the kingdom, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, without just thinking about church per se? So the starting point isn't church. The starting point is the community. Who, who, where's our reach? Who lives around? Where do people live? And then you begin to hone in to say, all right, so here, who, this is who we are. This is our DNA. We want to fulfill the Great Commission and reach people. So we'll, we'll do a kingdom view to say, you know, people are going to be important to us whether they come here or not. And then you say, what kind of people do we have? Because people uh, all have gifts, and every church is so incredibly different. Uh, what, what are we willing to do, and what, what can we do uh, to take care of being healthy as a church or reach 20-year-olds or, or, or whatever else? And I think at that point, you look at your church and you say, look, for those of you who, who've been on the sidelines for a while, we've got to get back in the game. Uh, everybody's got to get in the game here. So if we're going to do whatever we're going to do, everybody's got, we all have to go together here or we'll never make multi-generational. It just, it just won't happen. Multi-generational church is the way to go. It's just the hardest way to go. Yeah. That, that's, that's the thing. Because if I'm 60 years old and – and uh, I'm trying to really fathom what the 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old is thinking. It's mystifying to me just like it is for the 20-year-old, uh, 30-year-old uh, to do that. So you say, what can we do and what are we willing to do? And then you've got to get about two or three things, and that's it. You, you, you can't do 14 things that you did at 1,300 uh, when you're at the 700 mark. You, you better hone in and focus you know, on what on what you can really do and what you're committed to doing. And I think it's better to do that now than to go get a preacher and help you to define that because he's going to come with his own views. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so guys, um, Jeff, I think you've been talking about this a lot on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. When you you this is we kind of are coming out of a season of this and going into a season of this always. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think people don't invite their friends or the people around them to to, to church? That is, I mean, that's a great question. I think um, we just heard a guy speak about it last night in in our prayer meeting. One of our church planning partners, who's just doing a great job, uh, Josh Carter. Give a shout out to him and what God's doing through his church in Portland, Oregon. But I think one of the, one of the things that that happens if if your church is healthy and people aren't inviting, I think it may be because they are not concerned about the lost. Uh, they might be concerned about their lost friend or their lost maybe individual family member, but in terms of having their eyes wide open to the community that God might do something through them, they don't think about it. If the church is unhealthy, uh, it, it's kind of like inviting somebody to watch your dysfunctional family reunion. Nobody wants to do it. And so you have to ask yourself that question of, are we trying to move the, the needle on lostness to, to get it multi-generational and we're healthy and we're good, or are there some things uh, that, that we need to go back and and do again and and you could go back to all of the same you know excuses if if the church is healthy then what people say is typically i don't know enough i you know to even invite somebody what if they asked me a question i think a lot of people in today's culture don't want to be perceived as as being a religious nut and they struggle with that they they really they really back off and kind of hide in a corner with their faith and it's something they're very glad they have and it's something that they're very glad, but they wouldn't want to go to work and be known as the person who goes to church. You know, there's a flip side of that too. I think some people aren't living the life that they're professing, mm. and uh, if you go to church 
that means that there's a little bit of accountability out of my life to you. If I invite that, I'm inviting you into my life and my life experience. And I think a lot of people don't go consistently to church. And so, you know, I invite you here and you like it. And next Sunday I'm, you know, I'm somewhere else. And uh, there you are left hanging. So I don't want the accountability in my life to say, hey, come and join me. I'm going to be there and I'm going to be there with you. Not necessarily for you, but I'm going to be there with you. And eventually, if that's true, I'll be there for you. And I think that's true whether you're 20 or whether you're 120. wasn't long ago met a first-time visitor at our service who came because of a relationship and that that person wasn't that they came for mm-hmm. wasn't here that day you know so you, mm-hmm. you're texting them going hey you here today you know and they and they weren't here whatever reason we didn't get into that but i mean it it definitely goes to what you're talking about it's, it's sort of this lack of accountability and i think uh because of the individuality of american christianity i think not many christians really feel responsible for anybody don't want to feel responsible for your lostness I don't want to feel responsible for your growth in Christ. Uh, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't want that on me. Well, and you've said it before that when I get saved, my wife gets saved, my kids get saved, we're good. I don't care about anybody else going to hell. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's part of it. It's funny because I just, uh, we're not, we don't feel responsible. I tell you what, we do feel responsible for making sure that that uh, our family uh, cheers for the right team. Mm-hmm. or uh, goes to the right places. We're responsible for uh, people loving the things that we love, mm-hmm. and we're responsible for uh, the right people going to this golf course to play golf with us because that is what it's about. We're responsible for us not going to a certain store and making sure that we're going to a certain store. We're responsible for everyone having an iPhone and uh, not really many people having an Android or whatever other phone you have. We're responsible for like a ton of things, and... Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, it's, I don't think we love, we don't really love church. Really, I think what it comes down, we're not amazed, we don't have a lot of fun at church, it seems like. I'm, I'm just, it's, I don't know, it's just, uh, it seems like if we're excited about something, we tend to talk about it all the time. We're inviting everyone, it doesn't matter how much we know about that place, we just know it's awesome, and so we just talk about our experience, we just talk about why we love it. Um, I don't know, maybe it's, I'm just listening. I'm just trying to think about this. But what if we're not? Uh, what if our people are like what you're saying, Gene? We're we're not telling the truth about some things. We're not yeah. we're not telling the truth about our real situation, where we really are, and uh, how we really what we really love. Because if we really, I think if we really love church the way that we love everything else in this world, we would just be like telling everyone about how much they have to come or. Or whatever, like what's, I don't know. It's a little mystery to that too because I think people who are connected in churches, in small groups, and in worship really do like that, but they don't seem to have room for anybody else to be a part of that Hmm. because if you bring somebody different into that, you know, the dynamic uh, really changes quickly. And so, yeah, uh, you know, those in people in ministry have an outward focus. You know, we want to see people, uh, whatever. But I'll tell you, I spent spent, uh, half of my, my ministry life just trying to get people in the door. Yeah. I didn't really care about them. You know, I thought I did. I just wanted to get them in the door. If they were lost, you know, get them saved, baptized, put them in a class and forget them, you know, go get some more. And I uh, didn't realize the value of relationships and, and, and being interested in their lives and whatever else. And, and, uh, that, that really affected me as a pastor because it affected my church in the same way. Uh, it hasn't been so much now where we are, but to this guy that writes in, uh, you know what do you what do you intend to do 
if it's just that your people got older, hey, that that's no problem with that. You can you, you can always do that again. But find something like you said uh, that would actually uh, actually uh, uh, promote your church, your gospel, your Jesus uh, to that twenty or thirty year old, and let them come and be who they, you know, be who they are. Uh, it was interesting uh, last night at church. There was a visitor who uh, who came. Uh, from really a long way away, but he was with uh, he was with his family, grandchildren, family, whatever. And uh, when we got through, I was just I was just talking to him, and uh, he said something about. It. He said, "Man, he said I'm so excited to be here." But he said, "I'm sorry, you know, I just wore shorts tonight, and and uh, and I didn't even think about. It. I didn't notice it, you know, because I, we we just don't notice things like that anymore." But he he was kind of conscious of that, and I said, "Oh, I said, you know, I, I didn't even notice until you, until you said that." He said, "Well, that's kind of the way your church is. You just it feels it feels all right here, just to come like this." He said, "But I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody." I said, "We're well, not embarrassing anybody." I said, "We don't, we don't have you know a dress code uh, here." He said, "I like it here. I think that's that's a subtle part of it. Uh, you just you just come uh, when you're ready." And uh, we'll help you with your children, your family, uh, with your journey. Uh, and, and it's not to fit you into a program that we do, but it's not at the same time to compromise who we are. And I think that's what I would tell the guy. That, and, by, hey, by the way, that's not easy. No, and I would, Everything we just said yeah, is not easy. It's tough. And I, I would tell him, too, that one of the things that has to happen is there has to be, uh, uh, I guess you would call it bi-directional buy-in, so from – the youngest people that you do have in your church to the oldest people and from the oldest back to the youngest, this idea of sharing leadership and ownership. I think that's one of the biggest things that, in my opinion, has been a little bit tough for the Southern Baptist Convention is that there was it, it was it may have been a perception, but there was a perception that you need to wait till your turn mm-hmm. before you can offer any input into what we do around here yeah. because we got this and we know how it runs, so it's not your turn. You're not old enough or whatever. And I think if if you start to get that, then you can do, and I'd like for you to share this because it's something that I've done. I've had the opportunity to be part of a church revitalization and lead one of those, and it it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And you did in town, and I don't want to mention the church by name, but you did in in town with with an interim situation where you, you walked in and the church was really reeling, and you guys did something kind of amazing. Everybody was kind of at each other. And before you could get to inviting other people, you had to sort out some of the problems, and the problems really weren't that big. Can you talk about that process where you had everybody go through that? You know, writing down what what are your top issues? What do you? Yeah, uh, uh, th- this church was uh, entirely dysfunctional, and uh, the the good part of the story is they lab- later became you know unbelievable, like a mega church, and was doing just doing great. But they were kind of snipping and biting each other. And so we said uh, to every person who had a ministry or, you know, a leadership role, whatever that leadership role is, you, you bring in your top three concerns that we have to address to, to go forward. And uh, we, we're going to find out where the rub is. So the top three concerns. So we put up paper around the walls and everybody sort of, you know, said their top three things. And then we said, okay, uh, let's list the most important things that we do here. Of all this stuff, I mean, multiple things, you know, on the wall. Of all the stuff that we do here, let's agree as a leadership team what's the most important thing we do. In other words, if everything else goes, we're still going to do this. Well, of course, Sunday morning worship. That's predictable. Second, at the time, were the life groups, you know, they're meeting on Sunday. 
And then they began to really define some things. And, and what happened is that uh, people said, hey, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you know what? I can take care of mine. Uh, this isn't, you know, when they saw everybody else's, they, they did it themselves and said, look, uh, uh, we, we'll take care of this. We, we don't have to do this. But what was interesting, the greatest rub in that church was about the kitchen in the church. <laughs> it was crazy. I, I was yeah. so stunned. And uh, so uh, they didn't have any money. You know, the church had been reeling and whatever else. And I thought, this can't be possible that, that the greatest conflict in this room is about the kitchen, the use, you know, who has the right to blah, 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 and do all this kind of stuff. And so I, I said, okay, we, we really need to deal with this. And somebody said, I'll clean the kitchen. Somebody else said uh, something to the effect that I think I know a guy that will give us, you know, some new stuff in it because it was nasty and dirty and all this stuff. And uh, then they said, you know, uh, uh, everybody shouldn't just be able to use the kitchen. These are leaders now talking. And they said, uh, you know, the some person who was over all that said, you have the right to tell anybody. It doesn't matter if they're the preacher, the deacons, or whatever else. You have the right to say, this is the way the kitchen is going to operate and work, and nobody can use it without, you know, mm-hmm. and filling forms out or whatever. And I'm telling you, in a week, in one week, that all went away, and we got focused on reaching people. And you know what happened? Uh, even in the interim, people started joining. They yeah. started coming. And the whole atmosphere changed, and uh, – uh, they were running probably 250 people at the time. And uh, almost immediately we were up to about 350 people. And I'm talking about four or five months. And they weren't people coming back, They, you know, because it had split. It was people coming to the church because one little irritant uh, was was solved. I did seven interims, and in six out of the seven, there was one irritant uh, that once that was solved, and then when you talk to people about behavior, and their real intention. Do you really care about this? Yes, we do. Well, you can't behave like you're behaving, you know, and not do this. And uh, in this case, young families started coming and joining. It was the most <laughs> the most amazing thing uh, in the world, of course. And I'm thinking, it's about a kitchen. It's just amazing. But it doesn't take much for a family to get discombobulated, yep. you know. And if that's the rub, take care of that. So another thing we did was said, what can we take care of in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days plus? Uh, and they took care of them. Everybody took care of, they took ownership. They took care of their stuff. Uh, one, in one church, they were just, you know, yang yang, all this kind of stuff. And uh, a part of it was over carpet in a building that hadn't been put in. And I, I, so I said, wait a minute. So I asked the finance guy, I said, is there money for this? He said, oh, yeah, there's been money in the bank for this for years. <laughs> asked the, the building grounds guy, you know, why didn't you put it in? Well, we thought, I said, the deacons don't have anything to do. Let's put the stinking carpet in. Yeah. And they put it in that week. Boom. Guess what? We started growing instantly. So sometimes when you find that little irritant and, and modify your behavior yeah. and let leaders take responsibility for it and then just say, we're not going to do that. We are going to do that. So for that church that, uh, that we're talking about here that the listeners said, find out who you are. What's your DNA? And what do you really mean to do? Now, here's another twist. If you really want to reach 20 and 30-year-olds and you look around and they're not your color and not your culture, then you got to deal with that. You really do. Because if, if, if you want to reach them, they'll come. They really will. It's not that they, they can't come, you know, they're not prevented from coming. It's maybe there's not a hand out there to let them know how they can come. Yeah, and I would just say it's that it's that kind of thing. Like when I drive by in town and see a sign that says "All Welcome" yeah. on the church sign, that means no one's welcome. That's a joke. 
you know, it, you're, you're welcome when you reach out to that person. And you, I don't think you can, you can get there until you're willing to do what we've talked about, eliminate some of the things, because a lot of the times the, I know it was this way in the revitalization I was part of the irritants and the issues stemmed back years oh, yeah. and they weren't anything moral in these cases. I mean, they could be, but they weren't moral. They weren't ethical, but it was, it was hampering us. And what had happened is the young people in that church that I was a part of had said, no one wants to be part of this. You guys, the way that you act is that you consolidate and hold power and you won't let us participate. So we're gone. Well, you know, once we got that straightened out and started bringing people in and they had a voice at the table, it was easy for them then to invite their friends. I think the 20 and 30 old, Trevor, you can talk to speak to this. I think they don't even think about power in a church. They don't think about church, period. Uh, unless it's inviting, there's an atmosphere like you were talking about on a previous podcast. I come in and that atmosphere helps me to, you know, to connect or whatever. And if you can't do that, you can always do relationships. That's, yeah. You can always do a relationship. Yeah, because that benefits me. That benefits everyone. Relationships benefit people. Uh, it's pe- it's the thing that people talk about most, but they're really going to do the least about um, because they'll talk about it, but they're not willing to do what it takes to have one. You know, So if someone else extends the hand, extends the conversation, they're very almost excited to begin a conversation no matter what generation you're in. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter because I've heard you say that before. I totally agree with that. Most people talk about like community, right, and relationships, oh, yeah. but not many are willing to do what it takes to have community and relationships. Well, the people that want it don't know what it is if you're younger. You know, you haven't grown up really in that, especially if you were unchurched mm-hmm. or if you just blitzed through a youth ministry that never uh, really built community because community involves time, responsibility, uh, caring. Uh, interest, uh, you know, I don't quite understand you, but I'm really interested in your, you know, in your uh, journey. And uh, this is something that I've had to come back to uh, pastoring here for the last 12 years, not realizing how important that was, but just making myself do it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the few things we did here, which was so strange to so many people, is uh, we got with people, you know, when they visited, we just call them, say, hey, can we take you to dinner or lunch or whatever? And I would say that, uh, only only about two or three people out of a hundred or plus that we ever took out ever said we ever had uh, anybody to call us in church, period. But we've never eaten with a pastor. We've never spent time with a pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of those people connected with the church, you know, when they, when they did that. The second thing is I never talked about programs with them except to how they benefit you. And I, my question would always be after I ask about, you know, what's your faith journey? My question would be always... Uh, you know, what, what, what are you after here? What, where are you spiritually and what do you need? And, uh, you know, they, they would tell you and they would say, wow, you, nobody's ever asked us that. Sometimes they couldn't answer it or whatever. But the, but the silliest thing I did, it wasn't silly, I shouldn't say it that way, but the simplest thing I did was just to go out in the commons area and shake people's hands. And, yeah. and people would say, man, I can't believe you're doing that. I, I just don't, I don't get that, yeah. uh, you know, the leader. But I think if you really want to reach that, anybody, then you have to be willing to invest something in their time. My generation is all about the program. Let's do a better worship service. Let's do a better, uh, you know, program here, better women's ministry, better life groups or whatever else. And 
people in Trevor's generation don't even know what that is or think about it. I would just say, too, about our our church in particular. You don't want. To, I'm not trying to brag on us. It's our people. Our senior adults made the difference in turning around the culture because they moved. And what I mean by that is they moved into Vacation Bible School and they served. They had to, yeah. There was no one else to do it. So, And if you come to our Vacation Bible School, we still do it during the day. And uh, I imagine this year we'll have six, 700 people on campus for that week, and it's our senior adults leading the way. When Trevor first got here, the first event he ever did here, who served, yeah. it was our senior adults. I still think the most interesting idea that we haven't found a way yet to implement is Trevor and I talked a long time ago about doing a senior adult college Sunday school class. Yeah. What would that look like for for that that group of kind of grandparent to ch- grandchild age group work together? Well, I, yeah, know. I think you're I think you're on it. I've rediscovered just hanging out with some of the college uh kids from my local just being there for one thing. Uh, how appreciative they are that we're there. We don't do anything. We sit over there on the steps, really, and, uh, you know, on the stairs uh, in the building. Uh, we speak to them. We, we've had some in our homes and whatever. And really, w- we love it. I mean, we really do and are honored that they would want to come. And they seem to enjoy it. It's a good exchange. And it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not trying to be their age or their buddy uh, uh, like that. I'm just, I just want to be their friend, you know. I just, I'm not trying to be, 20 years old uh, that would look funny yeah. and sound funny but uh it's been really good uh uh to have that experience and to and to just take the risk to say hey what's going on and and we just learn so much every time they come over they just teach us uh you know uh so much but it's it's not easy to do this it really isn't but a church i'll tell you this a church can do it you can do it. And so it doesn't matter if you're down to 700 or down to 70. You can do this. Uh, you know. But it, it can't be a sentiment. That's what all is welcome is. That's a sentiment. Yep. And that's what they mean it. But uh, that's not a commitment. That's not a commitment to change and, and uh, do something else. So I'd love to start with 700 people and try to revitalize a church rather than 50 people yep. or 35 30 or 40 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm serious. Yeah, my first you day. Know, you know, this pastoring. guy, our listener here. Uh, They've got a real chance. They'll, he does. They'll get it right. He will. They will get it right. And I hope, and anybody that's listening to this, if you're a pastor listening to this, if we can ever help you, uh, you, can, you, can, you can contact any of us at Judson Baptist Church. Trevor, Loving Good, Jeff Mims, Gene Mims. Uh, we'll move heaven and earth to help you, you know, if we can. And uh, we can talk to you. We'll come to you. We'll do whatever we can. Uh, to help you. And we haven't gotten it right. I mean, we're, we're not perfect in this. We're on the journey of it, but it, it, it will, we'll, we'll do what we can to help you. I should say too, that, you know, you guys in the past have taken, uh, uh, yourself, one of our older deacons, one of our young, young deacons and gone out and done some work with churches to help them understand those relationships. Glad to do it. Glad and to do it's that. always great to have young and old there in the meetings and they've always been really helpful to the pastor uh, uh, and and the deacons. Hey, it's been great to be with you, folks. Uh, so, Trevor, you learn anything today? What did you learn today? Yeah, I learned I learned a, a lot today. I would say if I learned one thing, uh, Jeff was talking about just like a really a kingdom concept that you always talk about because you're always talking about the kingdom, how it's not necessarily about Judson or this church or that church, but all of us kind of together and like what God is doing overall and. 
And uh, it's this concept that keeps coming back up. Like if I was to talk to uh, a church like this, like this guy or, or whatever, or if they were to ask me this question and my little knowledge of kind of just kind of gleaning from you guys and getting from a lot from you is, is uh, when you begin to focus on uh, what you're asked to focus on, um, you allow God to focus on you and to take care of you. When you begin to care about the people around you and um, and really invest in their lives, you give God an opportunity to invest in yours mm, and build what good. He's doing in yours. And so, uh, I would say, man, if 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 anyone's listening, what's the what is the thing that Jesus said, or what is the thing that Jesus did um, that brings people uh, to Himself and to, to be a part of the kingdom that you can really latch on to and and get after um, yourself, and then get, begin mm. to get other people after it with you. Um, so yeah, great, Jeff. Uh, if it's difficult, and, and maybe it is, uh, I still wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, a church without the youngest and without the oldest is missing something, and I want the wisdom of the oldest and the energy of the youngest. Yeah, and I want the, I want the knowledge of the young about what, whatever, culture, technology, yep. uh, life, what they're dealing with, because we don't know. We assume we know, and it's easy for me as a 60-year-old to run to the Scripture and preach. You know, the truth— and then at the end of the day, nobody knows how to apply it or what I'm talking about because I don't know uh, what I'm talking about. So, you know, I'm I'm learning and I've learned again today. You you gotta you gotta be positive to this younger generation, and you gotta help them. You gotta help them, and when they sense that you're interested in them relationally, then uh, good things begin to happen, which is kind of what Trevor said. Hey, until next time, I hope you're listening to the twenty. 40, 60 podcast. We love being here. We love being uh, with you right into your ear and your mind and your life. And so uh, have any questions or have any topics, let us know. We look forward to being with you next time.